0: And you can be seated, and I'm going to invite up any kids who want to join me. Uh, we're going to do kids' sermons. So, kids, I'm thinking mainly like fifth, sixth grade can be the ceiling, but hey, if you're in seventh, eighth grade, you can come too. Um, and if you kids want to stay with your parents, of course you can but you're invited to come forward. Hey, everybody. I see Miriam brought some friends. Hi. All right. Well, hey, you're all to my right, so I'll come over this way. All right. Well, as you get settled, I want you all to think about a question. Now, some of you are great at raising your hands before you've thought about the question. That's okay. I usually do that too. But think about this one. It's a really hard question. Who likes bedtime? Think about it. One, Okay, well, hold on. Demi, I think your hand maybe came up first. Would you be willing to share with me why you like bedtime? You like sleep. God bless you, Demi. How nice for your parents. Um, yeah, Isaac, I think you had your hand up next. I sort of like it. Okay, why? Can I ask you why? Okay, so this is a reason, you're getting into a reason why you don't like it, and you're very intuitive, because that's the next question. But the other reason why I do like it okay. is because I'm, if there's, like, a big event coming up, I'm getting closer and closer to that event. So if you go to sleep, it almost feels like the thing you're excited about gets here faster? Yeah, like, it keeps Got you. Coming. Maybe the only thing I like about sleep, too. One last person I'll ask is Annabelle. What, what do you like about sleep? I like sleep because I, like I get to sleep with all my favorite Because you're stuffed animals. Yeah, that is fun. I think Nomi has that answer, too. Probably. Okay. All right. So the rest of you, I'm assuming, like five of you. Hold on. Stay with me, everybody. Like five of you uh, raised your hand that you like going to sleep. I'd like to hear some reasons why you don't like going to sleep. Um, okay, James. Uh, I don't like going to sleep because then you get to stay up all night and watch movies. So you lose movie time. Okay. Yeah, brother. Why don't you like going to sleep? It just feels like it's always bedtime. <laughs> 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 it's just, it's just. I'm right there with you. Okay, a couple people you haven't heard from yet. I know, um, yeah, Ella. You could be doing other stuff. It's like you have to say no to a fun day, and it has to end, and that's not what you want. Alec. You can't play any more video games. And yes, Charles, you have something you really want to share with us. And then Charles, then Norris, then we'll move on. Did Isaac kind of get at it for you? Yep. Yep. It's like a contest with yourself. How late can I stay up? Oh, well, I know all about that. What's that, Fiona? You don't? Yeah, I think most of your friends don't either. Norris, last one for now. Why don't you like going to sleep? Um, Usually um so usually I don't like going to sleep because it gets misses out on a ton of fun stuff like but for now I kind of want to go sleep like crazy because I just took a bus to Disney World and back so I barely got any sleep. Right. On a crammed bus and like, on the way back I just was on a board. Okay. Well, don't <coughs> don't tell the Pennsylvania Highway Patrol but Norris said he just slept on a tour bus around a bunch of snoring teenagers because his mom's a music director and they got the chance to perform in Disney World. So how nice for you. Um, I- I'm going to move on for now, Isaac, but I want to hear more afterwards. Listen, th- now this is, this is where we're getting to what we're going to talk about from the Bible today. Is everybody still with me? We're moving towards the end of this paying, this paying attention time. Can everybody just stay with me for another minute? Girls, stay with me, okay? This is a passage of the Bible we're gonna look at today. It's a prayer for going to sleep. And I want you to know, hopefully this will be encouraging to you a little bit, it might be a little discouraging, but all the reasons that you gave for not wanting to go to sleep, actually grownups feel the same way. A lot of grownups, it's hard to go to sleep because it's nice sometimes just to squeeze a little bit more fun out of your day. Like maybe my day could be a little more fun. One more video game, one more show, one more fun thing, you were saying, Ella. And if I go to bed, it just means less fun. And sometimes if I go to bed early, it just feels like, ah, that day wasn't enough for me somehow. Does anybody feel like that? Anybody else feel like that? It's kind of sounded like what you were sharing. I gotta tell you, everybody stay with me here, Charles. Grown-ups feel the same way. And one of the reasons why we say prayers at bedtime is because it's hard to give your day back to God at the end of it. My last question this morning, and I'd love to hear some people who haven't, maybe people haven't called on yet. Are there any special prayers you and your family say at bedtime? Any special prayers? Yeah. What's a special prayer your family says at bedtime? So you tell your parents what you liked about the day. So you end the, pr- end the day with a prayer of gratitude, of thankfulness about your day. Actually, that's one of the things we're going to look at in the psalm today. We look at Fiona, what, what do you guys pray at bedtime? Oh, okay. You talk about the movies that you like at bedtime. Okay. Well, that could give you some sweet dreams, I suppose. MJ, what do you say? What prayers do you pray that you want to share? You can think about it and raise your hand again if you want. Here's this prayer that I want to give you, and you're going to hear me talk about it again when you go back to your grown-ups, okay? It's right at the end of Psalm 4, and it goes like this. Everybody listening? In peace, in peace not in busyness, not in fighting, not in scrambling, not in trying to grab more good stuff out of my day. Hold on. In peace, I both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. If you're looking for a good prayer, keep listening closely to the sermon and to the words of Psalm 4, and you can take these words with you into bedtime. One one. I know some of you kids, one of the reasons why it's hard to go to sleep too, and nobody shared this, but I've talked to you about it, is anybody ever sometimes a little afraid to go to sleep? It's a little scary sometimes. Same with King David. He was afraid to go to sleep. And so his prayer of surrender was at the end of the day, it was like, Lord, in peace, I both lie down and sleep because I can't keep myself safe throughout the night. Sometimes I, re- I need to remember it's just you who keep me safe while I'm sleeping. All right, with that, I'm gonna send you back to your grown grownups. Um, give them a round of applause, everybody. They've been really good. And I'm gonna invite the rest of you to... I, I, I will, buddy. We'll talk about it more after the service. If y'all would stand up with me for the reading of God's word. And we'll sing the doxology together afterwards okay psalm 4 to the choir master with stringed instruments a psalm of david answer me when i call O god of my righteousness you have given me relief when i was in distress be gracious to me and hear my prayer O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise God from whom? And then you all can be seated. And kids, thanks for being uh, upstairs with us for Kids Sunday. Do your best to pay attention. We're not expecting perfection. No, me, down. We're not expecting perfection. If you start getting busy in your heart or with your hands, just return to the words in the bulletin, even if a grown-up around you is holding it, okay? So, as I said to the kids, Psalm 4 is a psalm that's often been read at night, and it makes sense if you were reading along just now when I read it on the screen or in your bulletin. Verse 4 says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. It's talking about nighttime. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety to end the psalm. You know, The Center for Disease Control, the CDC, um, has been talking about for a long time about how a lack of sleep is actually like a public health epidemic. We're, We're something like four hours shorter per night as a society than our society was 80 years ago. I mean, think about that. Like if eight hours is like the ideal gold standard, I know people debate it, but we're four hours shorter than whenever our grandparents were getting when they were kids. I mean, that's stunning. 60 million Americans suffer from insomnia. And are there physical, chemical reasons for this from person to person and from generation to generation? Yes, I have no doubt. The question that this psalm would put to us, though, is are there also behavioral And spiritual reasons for this, for this inability to sleep, to surrender our day to God. I think so. We are biologically forced as human beings to sleep sooner or later. But sleep is also a spiritual act. Let me put it this way. The choice part, I know you can't always just, as you want to, go to sleep immediately. But the choice part of going to sleep is as spiritual as it gets, really, I'm going to argue, from the words of this psalm. Particularly if there's work left to be done. There are needs left unmet in your life. If there's fun, or we might just say distraction to be had remaining in your day. And this is a psalm about going to sleep in distress with unmet needs. From the beginning, it's not clear exactly what David's, who wrote this psalm, it's not clear exactly what specific distress he's in. In verse two, it says, how long, O men, shall my honor be turned into shame? So it seems like there's some kind of character assassination going on towards the end He talks about like the old days. He says, um, we know what it's like to have our grain and new wine abound. So maybe there's some kind of famine. Maybe there's some kind of attack from an enemy happening actively, which threatens food supply or, or whatever. It could be any or all of these things. One way or another, King David is going to sleep with unmet needs. Things are not well. He is in Sleepless distress. Things aren't settled or figured out. He has not been granted control of his life, at least not the control that he wants. And he's choosing, with God's help, to go to sleep anyway. Because we're human beings, and we are not meant to keep vigil over our lives 24-7, no matter what's going on. And if you're wondering why I chose this psalm as as my final sermon ever at Liberty. Even though, you know, we've been in the uh, well, we've been in the book of Genesis, and next is Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) That could have been my last sermon ever at Liberty. I preached on it before. But if you're wondering why i chose this psalm as my final sermon ever at liberty it's because the wisdom the wisdom of this psalm is not just for bedtimes the surrender of this psalm applies to any surrender i think sleep is like it's it's kind of like the ultimate surrender that we face on a daily basis. It's like every day there is this surrender that if we catch the rhythm of it, it'll help us say yes to the necessary surrenders in every other area of our life, including death, and including goodbyes. Two points. There's two different ways of ending your day or your life or or a season of life. That's, That's what's happening to me, but in a way to all of us today. Two ways, grasping and giving. What are you gonna do with your life? What are you gonna do with a season of life That all or part of you doesn't want to change. You can grasp it. But grasping, man, in most ways, it's not what we're for. Something like a continual surrender. One of our oldest liturgies, at the point of communion, there's a gathering in of the bread and the wine, which is offered as the body and blood of Christ. But... um, in our oldest liturgies, the efficient of communion says, Thine own, bread and wine, we offer up to God to receive something back. Thine own of thine own, they say right before they come to the table. Giving back to God so you can receive something greater, that's what we're about. So first, the effort to grasp, and second, hopefully, the faithfulness of giving back to God. So first, grasping, then giving. First, grasping. Um, there's, right at the end of the psalm, there's these two contrasts in how the heart can respond to God when it, when it has to face a surrender. Will I or won't I surrender this thing to God that I really don't want to surrender? I want to stay awake. I want a little bit more control than it's possible for me to have, and I'm just not going to rest, or, or will I? I want you to look at verse six and seven. I know I'm jumping to the end here, but let me read it again, particularly verse six. David says, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Let me stop there for a second. One of the really hard things to do when you're translating Hebrew, And I'm talking about the pros here, like professional Hebrew scholars. One of the hardest things to do is identify where to put quotation marks because there are no quotation marks in Hebrew grammar. There's just none. So if you look at different translations, they will put the quotation marks differently. And let me tell you, I think this is one area where our beloved English Standard Version, which we use all the time, which is a fantastic translation of Scripture, I think they get it wrong. And I think other translations, like most of them, think the NIV, think uh, New Living Translation, Christian Standard, even the old King James or New King James, slightly less old. They get it right. And here's what they do they end the quotation marks after, who will show us some good? Like, imagine this there's two people looking at their day in the same devastating circumstances. And David says, there are some who will say, who's going to show us any good? And most of your translations out there in the world will end the quote there. And that means David then goes on to say something else with the second half of verse 6 where he says, Some say who's going to show us some good? You know what I say? Just lift up the light of your face upon us. Just lift up the light of your face upon us. Whatever else is going on, whatever I don't have, if I see you, if I behold your face... It'll be enough for me. Let me ask you this. Why do a lot of our vices come out at night? A lot of the things that we don't know how to stop doing, whether it's the area of gluttony, lust, staring at a screen longer than we want to, when we feel most out of control and maybe even at least ourselves, it seems like for most of us, it's at night, and it seems like it's this spirit of who's going to show us something good? I just lived a whole day. I worked, or I sat through a day of school, and I faced stuff I didn't want to face, or maybe I did, but it's still like numb, like nothing tastes, like Marie Antoinette said, like, and I just want something that tastes. I want something good, Darn it, I just want something better before I have to say goodbye to this day. And I kind of think I deserve it. I think that that's most of us. Most nights, most seasons of our life, we're like, No, I don't want to say goodbye to this. I don't want to surrender this to you. Who's going to show us something good? I deserve a little bit more, I think. And in contrast, there's, it's, it's called a Hebraism. Um, when you read... Show us your face, O God. You know, by the way, this is the benediction that I use most Sundays. I'm not going to use it today. Uh, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. When David says here at the end of verse 6, lift up the light of your face upon us, the light of God's face, it's called a Hebraism. It's this very, it's this Hebrew, uniquely Hebrew turn of phrase. Show us your face. It expresses the goal of all human existence. Show us your face. Let us see you, and we'll be saved. This is the ultimate need of mankind, communion with God. And then verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. It's David's way of saying, look, maybe we're facing famine even. Let's say the grain isn't coming in, the wine's not abounding. If we don't have you, you've put more joy in my heart than if I have those things, which on some level I actually do need. But if I have you and I don't have those other things, I can survive. If I have those other things and I don't have you, then I really, truly, on a base level, don't have anything. Relatively speaking, in the Lord we have everything, and without him we have nothing. One of the oldest songs of the church is in Luke 2. It's from Simeon. We talk about it a lot. In Christmastide, because Simeon's the guy who waited to see the young Jesus at the temple. And he heard from God that he would, before he died, see Christ at the temple. And eventually he's brought there, and he sings that song. And he says... Lord, now let your, your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I can, he's not saying go to sleep, he's saying now I can die because he's waited his whole life for something more than you and I have waited for anything. And Christ finally comes and he says, now, now I've beheld your salvation and now I can say goodbye. Now I can surrender my life. He was talking about his dismissal of death itself. That's why Psalm 4 historically, which we've just read and been studying, isn't just for bedtimes. You know it's often also been read at funerals, at goodbye times. Because in the end, and hopefully long before our end, like hopefully even on a daily basis, we have a daily opportunity and practice for the final goodbye. Goodbye. we have an opportunity to practice grasping something that will enable us to release our grip on everything else which we ultimately can't hold on to anyway. That's grasping. That's one way you can do it. David's saying, don't do it that way. So how do you surrender your life to God on a daily basis? That's the second point, giving. Giving. Just a few examples of David, you can just see he's trying to. He's struggling, he's sweating, he's trying to give his day back to God, he's trying to go to sleep, he's trying to run a kingdom here, enemies are always assaulting, he's got his own temptations that he's fighting. Most days things aren't the way he wants it, but he's trying to surrender his day to God. Verse 4, he says something that actually the Apostle Paul quotes in the New Testament. Verse 4, he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. He says, be angry and do not sin. Keep it in your own heart on your bed and be silent. Okay, one, I think, misperception, if you're familiar with this psalm, this verse is not telling us to get angry. Be angry. You have a right to be angry about this. Look, there is such a thing as righteous anger. It's what's happening about 1% of the time in our hearts when anger is there. He's saying, if you find yourself angry, be honest about it. Don't cram it down. Don't deny it. Be angry, but but. know that the sin is right there. It's just a razor's edge away. David knows that you and I lay on our beds thinking about all the nasty things that people said to us today, and we think up zingers one by one. Oh, like... There was actually an entire episode of Seinfeld dedicated to this, of George trying to come up with the perfect comeback. I don't know if you guys ever saw this one. If you miss Seinfeld, you should go find that one. I spend a lot of my evenings saying, ah, oh, you know what I should have said to that guy when he said that to me? It would have been perfectly, manipulatively nasty, but I would have been able to save face and still kind of seem like a good guy. Give it up. Let it go. Make a silent offering. And don't Be deceived about how much harm you can do to your own soul. Making the last thoughts of your day be ones of murder in your heart. I mean, that is formative stuff. And it all starts in the heart, right? Offer it back to him. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in. In the Lord. If you're really struggling with most days reaching for something or going like this for your screens or going out into the night with that thirst in your heart for more, 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 I'm not going to surrender yet. What David says you need to do is offer a sacrifice, do something active. Use your hands if you need to, get on your knees, do something physical, definitely make it verbal. But what you need to do ultimately is to make a sacrifice. Think about this for a second. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is an offering placed before the Lord so that he can make something out of it. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, and I think this is beautiful. He says, once you make an offering to God, it is in God's hand to do with what he will. Offer him your day. It's no longer in your hands. Stop trying to perfect it. Stop trying to improve it a little more. Be silent. Nothing more needs to be said. Make no explanations for it if it wasn't perfect. Make no boasts if you're really proud of it. His will is to work with your offerings, not your perfections or your press clippings. Just leave it. Just give it to him. You've lived your day. He knows you've screamed at your kids. Just leave your imperfect offering on the altar an offering. If I can get personal for a moment, this verse... Offer right sacrifices. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. It's a a prayer I need because pastorally, there are like one million loose ends that I'm leaving behind. And I think I can say without boasting, because it won't be impressive, I've tried everything to make there not be even one loose end. And it's, it's, it's just impossible. And if I could, if I could, it would require no trust at all in what God can do through you and through other people. And it's going to be there with your job, your callings. Oh my goodness, it is going to be there with your kids. And it is absolutely going to be there On the day that you die. So you know what you get to do is you get to to practice tonight (laughs) with every single loose end. And yeah, there's the stuff you did just maliciously, but because God's at work in us, there's also the stuff that you tried like as hard as you could to make beautiful and lasting and worthwhile And it's going to be totally imperfect. Like stuff you'd never want actually hanging on a gallery wall. And it's beautiful to him just to say here. This is the way to give him your day. This is the way you give him your whole life. There's a beautiful picture of this in um, all the Gospels. Uh, One of the few miracles that's in all four Gospels of the feeding of the many at the 5,000, where Jesus takes these few loaves and fish. He just takes this kind of pitiful whatever, a boy's lunch to feed multitudes. And it says he took it, he blessed it, he thanked God for it. Not, not symbolically or like kind of like with a glimmer of his eye. No, really, God, thank you for this, this little, this meager. Thank you so much and then he makes something like impossible out of it. This impossible blessing just flows out of it and that's your life. And you know what will never happen from that is if you grasp it and don't give it to him. One of the things that became really clear um, to me, really clear to me when I became confident in my conversations with Karen and our counselors that I should step down is... uh, is the the nasty stuff that can come from not just offering back to God what you need to offer him when it's time. Of all the stuff I've I've read on spiritual direction and discernment and all this stuff, the best advice has come from the movie The Dark Knight, um, which sounds so cliche, I know. I mean, you know, pastors and movie references from superhero movies, it gets pretty nauseating. But it's a really good movie. <laughs> and there's this one scene where the DA is talking about Caesar, if you remember the scene, and he's like talking about him in comparison with Batman. And he says, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. And I'm nobody's hero, but I could totally become a villain. But, but so could you. So could you. And most of that happens in the human heart. King David is saying so when you just can't say, I'm not God. He gave me a little bit for now. Here it is on the altar. He's going to do something with it outside of my control or my intent. And that's the way it has to be, whether I like it or not. And that's our life. And this is also the way of our salvation, by the way. What do I mean? Christians know that the only sacrifice, the only stuff we do that justifies us before God at the end of the day isn't stuff we do. It's Christ's sacrifice for us, not whatever you and I have or haven't accomplished. It's interesting. The very first verse uh, in this psalm, David refers to God in a way he's not referred to anywhere else in the Bible. In verse 1, he refers to God as God of my righteousness. God of my righteousness, as in you're the God who makes me righteous. You're the God who holds my righteousness righteousness and gives it to me as a gift. What right sacrifice remains for one who has been clothed in Christ's goodness, which he offers to us through that great exchange on the cross? All we can do is offer ourselves back to him, trusting him utterly. Let me end like this, folks, where I began with the kids. David says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The the punchline at the end of the psalm is things are not resolved at all. Things are not resolved as a prerequisite for peace. Let me say that again. Things are not resolved in a way that bring peace. Peace just is. Through beholding the face of God and faith in what he is capable of doing. This is how God has shown up in the past. And this prayer is simply a guide for living and sleeping without resolution to our problems. Friends, I know what's going on in some of your lives. What will happen if you take your hands off your life? What will happen? I don't know. Who might take advantage of you? Who will have sprinted ahead of you during the night in making another sale or another interesting comment on social media? How will your reputation be affected while you sleep? Who will be plotting against you? What will happen if you're not awake? What part of my experience will I actually have to face in those moments before sleep where I have to actually maybe in a few quiet moments before I drift off, face the reality of who I am before God, which is like totally a recipient of grace, a helpless one who's beloved and provided for. That's a good place to be, actually. That moment before we sleep. Actually, that moment before we sleep can be your whole life. Unproductive, recipient, beloved, cared for, child of God. Brothers and sisters, we are all facing an extended season of not knowing what's next. I don't know what's next for me. You all are in a season of transition, and it's going to be a while, this season of transition. The biggest mistake for me or for you, the biggest mistake would be to say, all right, once we have this next senior pastor thing figured out, then we can get on to business. That's nonsense. Your life is now. Your life is tonight. You're living before the face of God. Do not wait for the next pastor to be here to get started. Move on from what? From having to rely constantly on the grace of God. It's nonsense. Our life is praying, You alone, O Lord, secure us. And it's hard. You get lots of practice. Every night, in fact. So, brothers and sisters, give him your day. Give him your church. There's not a day coming where you're secure enough not to have something else idolatrous you're reaching for that can wreck you. Give him your church. Give him your life. And see how he transforms it. It's your whole life. It's your whole humanity. In the name of the Father